Bade, we do dream of a day where every child has the same opportunity uh, and uh, particularly where every girl has the same opportunity to study and to play and to live a life of, um, uh, of fullness. So how strange these last years have been. Am I a little bit far away? Is it going to muck us up if I come a little bit closer? Is that okay? Am I good? Okay. All right. Feels a little bit better. Now, it, we've had a strange few years, haven't we? And to be honest, I don't think most of us saw a pandemic coming. I certainly didn't. Uh, the thought was implausible a few years ago. So a lot's changed. Um, we know a lot more now, um, but still the questions remain. Why did it happen? Will it happen again? And alongside COVID, we know that our world is experiencing wide, widespread conflict and environmental disasters. Now, asking questions in the face of tragic circumstance and disaster isn't new. We've done that down through the centuries, but usually without satisfactory answers being found. But the theologian Tom Wright challenges us that the best question is not why, not why did this happen, but what? What can we do? He reminds us that Christians have always asked this better question in response to crisis, a response modelled to us from the very earliest days of the church and continuing through the very worst of times. You remember that in Paul's very first letter, to the letter, he tells the Galatians to do good to all people. And the outside world couldn't believe that message. And in, in his book, The Rise of Christianity, Rodney Stark makes a compelling case that the way Christians behaved in the great plagues of the early centuries was a very significant factor in the spreading of the faith. And ever since... Christians have visited the prisoner, they've cared for the wounded, they've welcomed the stranger, and they've fed the hungry. Now, the aftermath of the pandemic is far from over in the most fragile and vulnerable parts of our world, and there are significant other crises confronting us. Hunger, food insecurity, and even famine across Africa, the ethnic conflict in Myanmar and Sudan, the ongoing war in Ukraine, devastating earthquakes in Syria and Turkey. And of course, even before these crises, we know that there is very real inequality, injustice and poverty in our world. There always has been. But does it follow that there always will be? Well, I don't believe so. I truly believe that there is another way. And the questions I have for us today and for every person who calls themselves a follower of Jesus are these. What is our role? What does God expect of us? What are we doing to be at work with God today? Now, I'm going to take us on a bit of a journey with this, but let me start with Jesus. We know that one of the marks of the Christian life is serving and that Jesus modelled a life of service that culminated in the ultimate act of service when he gave up his life on the cross. Now, just a day early as, uh, earlier, as we have just remembered, um, that Jesus and the disciples celebrated the Passover together. And during the meal, Jesus got up and he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around a waist, 
he poured water into a basin and he began to wash and dry his disciples' feet. Now picture Jesus kneeling at the feet of the men. These were dirty, dusty, smelly feet. And at first they protested, but Jesus insisted. He wanted to leave them with a very clear picture of not just who he was, but who he wanted them to be as his followers. As Jesus served us, so we are called to serve others. And we know that one of the most important things that we can do as people of faith is to live a life that serves others. Here's what Jesus had to say in John 13. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, when I was 21, I went forward in a tiny little chapel and gave my life to Jesus. I knew that if I accepted him, Jesus would forgive my sins. He would take away my guilt and my shame, and he would be my friend right through my life. And eventually, Jesus would take me to be with him. And making the decision felt wonderful. And it was gloriously just about Jesus and me in those moments. And I imagine that many of you can, can identify with my experience. For me, the gospel was and is very, very personal. But if that's where it stops, it's not the whole gospel. In fact, in the words of Richard Stearns, a past president of World Vision International, that version of the gospel, the one where it's just about us and Jesus, is a gospel with a hole in it. He said, being a Christian requires much more than just having a personal and transforming relationship with God. We must have that, but it, in, it, it involves more than that. It also entails a public and transforming relationship with the world. Jesus, the world. If your personal faith in Christ has no outward expression, then your faith has a hole in it, an awfully big hole. Now, while you, while you reflect on that, let me remind you about the start of Jesus' ministry. When he identified and called his disciples, he didn't say to them, follow me and I'll take you to heaven. It's not what he said. He said, follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. I will send you. Jesus wasn't just calling the disciples into a holy huddle he was sending them. He wasn't just inviting them to follow him. He was asking them to join him in his work in the world and to go out and to serve people just as he did. So the gospel isn't just about Jesus and me. It's about Jesus and his mission. It's about Jesus and others, and it's about following him for the sake of others. Now, a young woman called Suni, who I had the incredible privilege of meeting in a remote area of Nepal on the border with India, understands that. 
She's been participating in one of our youth and uh, child and youth community for change projects, and she's learned powerful biblical truths about equality and human rights. Now, Suni knows that she's equal to boys and young men in her community, even though she's experienced great discrimination throughout her life. And now, with that new learning, she's developed confidence and advocacy skills to the extent that she, along with her other group members, are speaking out and working for positive change in their community. Suni has recognised that she is strong, capable and intelligent and that she can make important decisions for herself and that together with her friends, they can make a real difference. Now, advocating against child marriage has become a particular passion for Suni and, uh, and the group of friends that she participates with. And recently, they were even able to intervene when Suni's own sister was being forced into a marriage that she didn't want. Suni has taken what she's been given and she's using it for the good and well-being of others. Now, Suni is feisty. You can see that in that picture that I took, but feisty in a really great way, powerfully advocating for others before herself. And Suni reminds me that God has delegated to human beings the power to run many aspects of this world. And for those of us who follow Jesus, we know that God always calls us to love, to act, and to serve. There is no plan B. And the world that he calls us to is broken. Now, you don't even need me to tell you that. You know that. But current predictions are that the economic progress that was made in developing countries prior to COVID has been pushed so far back by the pandemic that it's going to take 30 years to catch up. That's 30 years to get back to where we were in developing countries before the pandemic commenced. Hundreds of millions of people in the poorest countries in the world have lost their jobs on a permanent basis as the economies have shifted during this time. And over 130 million girls across Asia and Africa who were previously in school are no longer. When COVID lockdowns came, they were forced out into domestic servitude or into child marriage, and they have not returned to school. This is the world that you and I are a part of. Up to a billion people are currently facing food insecurity and even famine. And increasingly, this is in countries who would never have imagined this as a possibility in the past. Now, we've had a very small glimpse of food scarcity in Australia in the past few years. Do you remember the toilet paper crisis? Did you have that here? We certainly had it in Sydney. Um, and, um, and, what about, and what about the scarcity of lettuce? Um, I don't know what that was about because whilst there was no lettuce on our supermarket shelves, there were, we could still buy kale. And my husband was convinced that that served his argument that kale was inedible. Now, I'm a great fan of kale, but uh, uh, he's not at all. Now, look, no jokes aside, there, there is no question that the cost of living has made 
food insecurity a reality for Australian families on the margin. But across the Horn of Africa in countries like um, Somali, sorry, Malawi, Somalia, Ethiopia, Kenya, Sudan, the situation is dire. The rains haven't come there for over five years and the current drought is the worst in living memory. Africa is on the cusp of famine and we barely heard a word about it in our media. We have compassion fatigue, it seems, for our African brothers and sisters. A combination of drought and conflict since Kabul fell has seen an ever-increasing number of refugees from Afghanistan and they now number in their millions, even closer to home, more than a million Rohingya, Karen, Chin and Kachin have fled Myanmar during the current conflict and persecution and they now find themselves entirely stateless. A million of these live in one of the largest refugee camps in the world, Cox's Bazaar. It's located in Bangladesh, itself one of the poorest countries in the world. You know the conflict in Ukraine has forced 10 million people out of their homes and across borders. Several million have fought across the borders of neighbouring countries. Now, thanks to the Australian Baptist family, Baptist World Aid have been able to stand with our Ukrainian and Hungarian friends since the very first days of the war as they've provided safe haven uh, in their churches. They've been providing food and warm clothing, fuel for people to be able to move to the next town. They're doing a phenomenal job. And every time I uh, have the opportunity to speak with them, and it's quite regularly, they, they ask me to thank the Australian Baptist family and to remind you to keep praying for them. Uh, as we know, the war continues, um, and um, please God, when it ends, the rebuilding will need to commence. There's a long way to go for us to remain faithful to our Ukrainian Baptist family. Right at this moment, some close to 100 million people are refugees or forcibly displaced by conflict worldwide. That's one in every 95 people on the planet. I think there's probably about 95 of us or so here in this auditorium. That's one of us being forcibly displaced from our home by conflict. One in every 95 people. It's the worst number that our world has ever seen. But alongside those big numbers that I've just shared, we know that ours is the wealthiest generation ever. Most of us live fairly comfortably and compared to the majority world, we live very well. We are rich by the world's standards. We're bright, we're educated and we're experienced. We can travel around the world in under 24 hours and we can send a message in a millisecond. We have sophisticated research and medicines at our fingertips and we have ample resources. We live in devastating times, but our world does have enough food to feed the hungry, enough, uh, enough to, uh, resources to house the refugee, and we have the capacity to reach every person on the planet with the gospel. 
So why don't we? God has given us everything we need to end physical and spiritual poverty. Whose responsibility is this? Well, let me put out a personal challenge. If we're following Jesus just for our own sake, we're not really following him in the way that he wants us to. And if we haven't joined him in his work in the world, our lives are too small. And perhaps we've settled for making a living when we could be making a difference. The author David Garland says this, the call and response of the fishermen should shatter our comfortable world of middle-class discipleship. Disciples are not simply those who fill pews at worship, attend Bible study, and offer to help out in the work of the church now and then. When one is hooked by Jesus, one's whole life and purpose are transformed. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? Like it or not, God has delegated the running of many aspects of his world to human beings. This is our privilege and our responsibility as his image bearers. But I wonder if some of us think that we don't have enough to offer. Well, in the words of one of my heroines, Baroness Carolyn Cox, you can look her up on Google on your phones while I'm talking, or maybe, la or maybe later. Um, she spent a lifetime working to change the world. And she said this, nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. Nobody can do everything, but every one of us can do something. Now, Ephesians 2 says this, for it is by grace you have been through, saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's be clear. We aren't saved by good works, but we are saved for them. And our God is ascending God. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And Jesus didn't just announce that the kingdom had come. He demonstrated it. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He ministered to the lonely. He included the marginalized. He blessed the children as we have done today. And he called people back to the Father. And he calls us to do the same. Now, let me tell you about another young person, a man called, a young man called Patan, who I think understands this. Patan was only 15 years old when his mother died and his grandparents took him in, wanting to keep the spark of education alive for him, but unsure how they could make that happen. They live in a very poor rural village in Bangladesh with very few opportunities for education. But through our local Christian partner there, Bhutan was able to go to school where alongside his schoolwork, he learned about the rights of every child, including the rights of girls in his community. 
and Bataan became passionate about the safety of his friends and soon he began to lead in order to do something about it. He formed a community safety committee and with, he, and, and, uh, with his friends, they began to intervene to stop child marriage. They mapped out safe routes for the girls to walk to school and to, the other, to other activities and made sure that they were never alone. Girls were always at risk of sexual abuse in that community. And, uh, and Patan and his friends challenged the corporal punishment system in the school there where teachers were able to beat children with canes so that the practice now has been outlawed, not just in their village, but in their entire district. And during the height of the pandemic, Patan and his friends came together to share health information with their community to keep the community safe. They're achieving quite incredible things within their community and they're constantly um, setting themselves new goals and making plans to achieve them. And they're perfect examples of what can happen when you believe in yourself and what you're doing. And uh, watching young people act and lead like this in their local community um, certainly inspires and convicts me. And young people like Patan and Sunni can learn and lead because somebody like you or me has sponsored them and empowered them to be leaders in their communities. Together with our local Christian partners and help from people like you, thousands of young people just like Sunni and Patan participate um, to, and have an opportunity to build a better world, not just for themselves and their families, but indeed for their whole community. And like Sunni and Patan, you and I were made to make a difference. Our lives were meant to count, and the world should be a better place because of us. Now, each of us has a sphere of influence, and each of us has been called to follow Jesus and to change the world in his name. We may not believe in our own ability to make a difference, but clearly God does. And he's challenged to us as ordinary, sinful, but forgiven women and men is to join him in his mission in and to the world. Now, we get a very clear picture of God's purposes early and right throughout the scripture and we very quickly understand the way that humans deal with each other alongside that. There is God's consistent and special concern for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the marginalized, the powerless. But there's also the recognition of the structures and power that exist within society and within relationships that seek to deny human potential and the possibility of life in all its fullness. You know, without equality, justice, freedom, and peace, human relationships, rather than being agents of fullness, well, they rob and they steal. What does the Lord require of us personally and corporately? Well, you know the answer to this. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. Now, at Baptist World Aid, 
We see a world where poverty has ended and all people are able to enjoy the fullness of life that God intended. We see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we're blown away by the privilege and the responsibility that he has given us to partner with him to usher in a glimpse of his kingdom right here and right now in every corner of the earth. But the reality is that God has given every one of us who calls ourselves a follower of Jesus the responsibility to bring his decree, his kingdom to fruition. And when Jesus called the disciples to change the world with him, they were simple fishermen. They weren't powerful, influential men. Jesus just wanted more for them than to run a business or to make a living. He wanted them to make a difference. He wanted to take their ordinary life and turn it into a mission. Anything else was too small a calling. And so it is with us. Now, it's easy to think that God's call is for somebody else. It's for missionaries. It's not me. But do you know the word missionary is never used in the Bible? Not once. And that's because all God's people are sent. All of us are commanded to go and be ambassadors for Christ. I'm sorry, Andy, but there is no special class of superhero sent ones. So who are you serving? Who are you sharing the whole gospel with? Is the world a better place because of you? Who are you making a difference for? And will the world be glad that you lived? I believe we all need to see and touch the hurt in our world, regardless that we may be carrying some of our own. In fact, sometimes I think the most impactful ministry comes out of broken places and broken people, and that's the beauty from ashes that the scriptures speak about. Now, I'm reminded of Jesus' words from Matthew 25. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And conversely, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Now, there is a multitude of good reasons to extend our hands and our hearts. But as Christians, as Jesus' followers, there is none higher than this, that when we serve those in need, we are loving him. It's a message that he made crystal clear that when we truly love others, when we serve in ways beyond ourselves, we love him. It may even be when we love him best. So there are several billion human reasons to accept God's call and challenge. And Jesus says, follow me and I will send you out. We may be amongst those ordinary, broken, sinful, but forgiven women and men. But he has called us and he has sent us in his name. And I pray that together we will go, 
not necessarily physically, but certainly in and through the work that God calls us to participate in and that together we'll dream of, we'll work toward, we'll pray for and we'll look forward to that world where poverty has ended and all people do enjoy Jesus' promise of life in all its fullness. In such a world, we will all taste the joy of the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, you have given us eyes to see the need, but so often we don't. And you've given us hands to serve, but often we feel too busy too important or perhaps too insignificant to use them for that purpose. You've given us hearts to love, but we live in a culture consumed by self. You've given us resources to share, but often we grasp them for ourselves and our own comfort. So change us and shape us, we pray, and forgive us for the times that we've participated in society and relationships in ways that fail to acknowledge and honour that all people are made equally in your image. So help us to serve you by serving those you called the very least of these and show us how to make a lasting difference in the lives of those around us, both near and far. We long to be bearers of your justice, freedom and peace and we want to partner with you in bringing fullness of life. So send us out again, Lord, and lead us forward in your kingdom, we pray, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Now, those two stories that I've shared today about Sunni and Patan and the leadership that they're exercising in their own communities are true stories. And both Sunni and Patan are youth partners in our important work and are sponsored by somebody here in Australia. Children are empowered to become leaders and advocates in their own communities from even the very youngest age in our programs. And you can sponsor a child or a young person through Baptist World Aid today and make, not, uh, make a difference not just in their lives, but indeed in the lives of the entire community that they're a part of. And Andy and Narelle and I are here, and we'd love to talk to you about how you can do that or indeed how you can support Baptist World Aid and our other uh, uh, mission agencies that are part of the Baptist uh, global family. Uh, and, uh, and we can pray and come together around those things. So thank you. Uh, it's been a great uh, privilege to be with you today and this first Sunday of Mission, um, May Mission Month.